welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is June Millington. Described by Guitar Player Magazine as one of the hottest female guitarists in the industry, June has been making music since she was a child playing ukulele in her native Philippines. Having moved from Manila to California in the early 60s, she and her sister, bassist Jean, turned in their folk guitars for electric guitar and bass and formed a succession of all-girl bands. By 1969, they were in Hollywood with their band Fanny, one of the first all-women's rock bands to be signed to a major label, Reprise. Through five successful albums and extensive touring of Europe and North America, Fanny served notice that women could do more than simply sing. They could write and play passionate rock and roll. In 1975, June played on Chris Williamson's The Changer and the Changed, which launched her involvement in the genre of women's music and which led to being a co-founder and artistic director of the Institute for the Musical Arts, IMA, a nonprofit organization for women and girls. IMA has been hosting rock and roll girls camps each summer since 2002 and has grown into an internationally known teaching, performing, and recording facility supporting women in music and music-related business. The founding board included activist writer Angela Davis and acclaimed engineer-producer Roma Barron, who's worked with Laurie Anderson and Rosalie Sorrells. June released her autobiography, Land of a Thousand Bridges, Island Girl in a Rock and Roll World, in 2015. Bobby Joe Hart's documentary, Fanny, The Right to Rock, is currently being released amid much excitement. June's latest album, Snapshots, was just released via IMA on her label, Fabulous Records, and available at www.ima.org. Hi, June. Welcome to Revolutionary Woman. How are you today? I'm doing fine. I'm actually in New York, oh. um, you know, on the road a little bit. We came here to see Mary Watkins' opera. I don't know if you know her, but she wrote an opera called Emmett Till. Oh, so wow. we came here to see her. Pretty excited about it. Oh, that's so cool. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she's an old friend, and I produced her. Her album, Something Moving in, in the 70s. So, oh I mean, goodness. we're really old friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so so let's get started. So I read that you grew up in Manila until you emigrated to the States at the age of 13. How was it growing up for you there before uh, compared to growing up in the States? Well, all of it was pretty weird because my dad's American from Vermont mm. and my mom's Filipina. We grew up. Very comfortably, I feel like in uh, in my grandmother and grandfather's compound mm-hmm. uh, till I was about maybe six, uh, and then we moved out. We got our own place, and you know, then I went to American school. Before that, I went to um, the school that uh, all my mother's family had had gone into mm-hmm. for kindergarten, and then first grade. There I am at American school, and um, it just wasn't accepted. So my world was very very much divided into okay so i went to american school i was not white mm. uh, kind of ignored and then i went back to our lolo and lola's house and right. totally comfortable um people spoke to us either in tagalog or english it didn't matter because we didn't have to answer in tagalog we just spoke english but right. everybody spoke both <laughs> yes so our life was pretty you know in that sense split in half i mean i'm truly half american and half half Filipina and that played out in when we got here then we weren't white and Mm -hmm. you know on and on right okay well thank you for that um so you're a singer songwriter guitarist producer and the co-founder of Fanny an all-female rock band um can you tell me how Fanny got started well you know Jean and I played ukuleles in the Philippines and, and learned songs off the radio which is a great way to get sort of the basics of pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't start off as, or we didn't start off as, you know, wanting to do rock. We just did pop, really. Uh-huh. When we moved to uh, Sacramento in 1961, mm-hmm. by that time, uh, we were switching to acoustic guitar. So uh, we played Hootenannies, you know, because uh-huh. Hootenanny was the big show on television. Also, some women at the YWCA. I mean, my mom, our mom took us to the YWCA too, so we could swim mm-hmm. but um 
unbeknownst to us, there was a women's circle at the Y who they sewed and they would sell their whatever they sewed as sold as product and uh, donated it to worthy causes. And we became a worthy cause. And oh. they started booking us. Oh, that's they so cool. They started booking us around. Yeah, yeah. So the YWCA has definitely played a big part in our, you know, the, the music trajectory that we were on. Wow. So anyway, they booked us for gigs, and that's kind of how we we got comfortable with playing like everything. You know, we played <laughs> mental institutions, Malay oh, functions. Wow. Oh, uh, gosh. We played at junior highs for their you know their gatherings or whatever. And um, we then Jean's boyfriend, um, I think she was in high school by then. It was around 1965, mm-hmm. late '64. He was in a surf band, so we started to hang out with them with two other girls whom we'd met at Hoot Nannies. Mm-hmm. And um, they would let us, I, I remember in particular, they would play like this one bowling alley. And so they played at the bowling alley, and in between their sets, we would get on with like our four guitars and sing like Heat Wave, oh, you know. Wow. Uh-huh. And that was actually pretty powerful. We, we did a good job on Heat Wave. And that's when we were moving from Hoot Nanny to Motown. That's mm. a that's a big deal in, in actually in my narrative and Jean's in my narrative because mm-hmm. we basically went from pop mm-hmm. uh, to folk songs mm-hmm. to right to Motown, wow. you know. So that's um, and yeah, and and then this girl from another high school called us and said, "Hey, I heard about you. Do you want to start a band?" And oh. I remember I picked up, I had picked up the phone and answered the call and I looked at Jean and I mouthed her, you know, do we want to start a band? <laughs> and uh, she thought for a second, she said, yeah. And so I said, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll start a band. So we got together with, with this girl who turned out to be a great drummer. And mm-hmm. um, so it was me and this girl, Kathy, and Jean and the two other girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was called Kathy. I forget the other girl's name. Anyway, mm-hmm. so it ended up being... Uh, the four of us it ended up being Kathy uh, on acoustic guitar, or she turned into electric as I did. Mm-hmm. Jean on bass, and this girl Kathy with a K mm-hmm. on drums, and that was the beginning of the Svelts, oh. which was basically a Motown slash pop group. Okay, wow. Okay, yeah. So that's how we learned how to be in a band. We just made it up. We said we were going to do it, and we just started doing it. We just started. To- get together and rehearse. I remember we rehearsed at uh, Kathy, the drummer's house mm-hmm. in the living room. Mm-hmm. The parents went to and they would be sitting there on their couches, you know, watching us like we were TV. That's so incredible. Cool. That's so, so cool. So we, we got that support. And then when we started to get gigs, mm-hmm. yeah. and by the way, the way we first, we got our first gig was that the boys found out about this audition that anybody could audition for. So we auditioned on their equipment and we got the gig. Oh. So then we had to get our own equipment, and that's where my mom really stepped in. Oh, that's Because so cool. we went to both our parents, and, and our dad said, uh, you know, it really wasn't into it. It's going to take care of you, you know. <laughs> yeah. Actually a good question, a very right. practical question. My mom didn't care about that. What she saw was that it made us completely happy. Mm. I mean, completely happy. So that joy factor... Um, basically compelled her to drive us to a music store and sign for equipment, you know, a bass wow. guitar, bass amp, electric guitar, electric amp, and a PA, a small That's PA. That's wild. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah, so she signed for that equipment. I think it was all in all like five, 600 bucks, and we had it paid off like in a year. I don't think my dad ever knew. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah. So, you know, a Filipino mom, she's going to yeah. get the job done. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You know? That's so cool. So, I mean, was music a big, a, played a big role in your family? I mean, for your mom to go out of her way, to go to a music store, to get you to the equipment. I mean, was that in her genes as well? Well, she played a little bit of piano. She loved music. Okay. But I think the main thing was, she. I mean, she did have her connection with music, but she just saw how happy it made us mm. and the joy level you just couldn't compete with that she just she loved us and she mm. wanted to see us happy and she saw that that was the only thing that made us happy I mean, getting a's at school yeah. we were straight a students but right. that didn't make us happy okay. we were not a part of society yeah and this was oh my god all of a sudden we got attention for 
uh, the second song I wrote, which was Miss Wallflower 62. Mm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was the year after we moved here. I was, we were still in junior high. We got together with two other girls and this song I wrote and we played it at the, uh, you know, what are you, the variety show that, that February, I think it was of 62. Mm-hmm. And man, we got so much great attention. Wow. And kids started to stop us in the hall. They didn't really stop and talk, but they like, as they were passing by, they say, Hey, I love that song, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden we realized, wow, this is the key. This is, I mean, it, really, <laughs> it changed our life and it set our trajectory for right. sure. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you were, so you mentioned this belts, which was your first, um, which was the first group. And how, I mean, so in the mid seventies, you changed from this belts to Fanny, um, why change the name to Fanny? And what was the significance well, of that? Well, you skipped like five years. Oh, <laughs> okay. So, oh, wow. You know, okay. From uh, 65 to 70, we were we were doing the Svelts. Um, uh, by 66, I graduated from high school mm-hmm. and uh, entered UC Davis. But that summer, see, we were playing a lot. And so that summer we played at a club in Reno mm-hmm. uh, till like four or five in the morning every night. You know, wow. and we play five sets a night regularly. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, there were no child labor laws. Uh, <laughs> Women yeah. in rock. Back uh-huh. There weren't hardly any other bands. Right. And we were talking to returning Vietnam vets in between our sets in 66. And I mentioned that because this is how we got educated boots on the ground. It wasn't just that we were in a band and that we were you know, going breaking a glass ceiling. Mm-hmm. It was also how we learned what was actually going on mm-hmm. in the streets and the clubs mm-hmm. in society. Mm-hmm. So we were playing for returning Vietnam vets, and then we started to play in clubs regularly, five sets a night. Wow. Uh, Kathy quit the band in, in 65, our drummer, so we got another drummer, mm-hmm. and that was Brie. Right, Brie Brand. Brie Brand, okay. Yep, uh-huh. and she's half Filipino, just like us. So oh, she was okay. with us for a year. Uh-huh. Kathy had stayed in the band, the guitar player, and her family moved on to Los Altos. And she, her dad didn't want her to be a band. He wanted to be a tennis star. And mm. she was beautiful and she could really play tennis. He was a tennis player too. So then she left the band and Addie joined the group. Now, mm-hmm. Addie Lee, okay. we played as that for uh-huh. about a year. And then I went to UC Berkeley and some of the girls went off as Wild Honey, and then we got back together in 68 as Wild Honey. So that's a pivotal year wow. because okay. Wild Honey is the band that went to Hollywood in oh. late summer 68, and we played at the Troubadour, and we got seen by Richard Perry's secretary. Right, I and read got that. Discovered. Oh, my gosh, yeah, I read that, that Reprise Records... Um, the rec- the record sec- yeah. yeah the reprise yeah. Re- record the record producer's secretary saw heard you play the troubadour, oh and that's yeah. how and okay so, yeah so that's why I'm saying I mean you're you know you skipped right to Fanny <laughs> well there was a lot in a between the Spelts and Fanny there was Wild Honey yeah and then uh, we signed the contract we moved to Hollywood in um, let's see May of '69 mm-hmm. and then our lead guitar player Addie quit the band so now I had to learn lead guitar oh and wow. it took me about a year huh. um, I oh mean I always say I went from zero to 100 or 99 <laughs> yeah. in, in one year to that solo in badge if you ever listen to badge that's always still held up as something really special well, I did that in a year Wow. So that was That's a lot wild. of hard work. But, you know, Filipinos know how to work. Mm. We were taught how to do that, mm-hmm. you know, at Assumption mm-hmm. College, American School, you mm-hmm. know. And, and I, read, I, I know how to learn. And I read that you did, you actually set up your own equipment during all of your shows. Like nobody helped you. It was well, just and, you guys. And Wild Honey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, so now we get to Fanny. Okay. So now, now we signed the record deal. Now Addie has left the band. Now I'm learning how to play lead guitar. Mm-hmm. And I heard about this band called Bertha. And um, actually before that, that's a girl's name too, but uh, mm-hmm. what was the name of that band? It had a girl's name in it, Daisy Chain. And I remember, because I would keep my eyes open or ear open for any band that had girls in it. Hmm. And when I heard about Daisy Chain, I heard that they were an all-girl band, and they actually turned into Bertha. But I remember thinking, wow, 
Daisy. They have a girl's name. In it. <laughs> uh-huh. So when we decided to change our name and we, you know, we're throwing hats into the ring with mm-hmm. all these different crazy psychedelic names. I say, hey, well, why don't we have a girl's name? You know, I love this name, uh, Daisy Chain. And we threw Fanny in there and everybody loved it. The the record company loved it. The producer loved it. Uh And that's how we became Fanny. Wow. We didn't know that Fanny meant something else in England. So, you know, we get a lot of grief (laughs) for that. Uh You know, well, they had to have known. No, we didn't. We had no idea. You know, Fanny... Fanny Bryce, for example, right? You know exactly. Yeah, Fanny is a is a real name. In fact, I think Alice has an aunt hmm. by the name of Fanny. Fanny is a legit name, and right. we thought it'd be really cool. In fact, you know, when we stepped out in front of audiences, I mean, I was still really shy. I hardly talked to anybody, but I worked hard. Mm-hmm. I I really kind of now I realize I held up that whoever that Fanny was, the mm-hmm. older woman who, you know, gave us cookies and warm chocolate hot chocolate you know Mm -hmm. that was fanny to me and she was my avatar Mm -hmm. so she was who stood out in front of me in my imagination Mm -hmm. it wasn't june millington trying to be brash Mm -hmm. although i was but it wasn't that internally to tell you the truth wow okay so i read that you experienced racism when you moved from the philippines to california and sexism when you started playing at gigs now how did you handle the racism towards you and your bandmates, and how did you handle comments like "not bad for chicks" for playing, you know, as a rock and roll, um, female rock and roll band? Okay, well, I just want to point out that you went from racism to sexism, yes, which is yes, synonymous, really, yes, because we experienced both, hundred percent, right? You know? Oh, okay, okay. So, um, and of course, racism we uh, faced first because mm-hmm. in the Philippines we weren't, you know. Mm-hmm. Filipino enough, really, or white enough in American school. And then we got here, we weren't white enough, etc. Right. Then when we started in a band, the misogyny really kicked in. Mm. How do we handle it? Yeah. We just ignored it after a while. I mean, you couldn't listen to every time somebody said that. Right. So when some when kids would say not bad for chicks, that was the exact line that we heard a thousand times. Mm. Not bad for chicks. Hmm. That we took it as a compliment. We knew that that was as far as they could go, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that's how emog- uh, misogyny shaped. That was the shape of the box, actually. Yeah. It was very small and it uh-huh. was very dark in huh. there. So we had to stop listening to all that. And we went into our own orb. I call it an orb because I can look into that orb right now mm-hmm. and I can see us, what we were doing, what we were thinking, the fun we had. And we mm-hmm. just stopped listening to everybody else because we were having our own fun. We were living in our own world right and nobody was going to mess with that yeah i'm telling you nobody was going to mess with that and that's where we got our power that was our superpower people didn't know yeah people didn't know right and then after a while i'm sure they realized oh they really are pretty good (laughs) you know they really are amazing so i mean did that change over the years before you left fanny The, the the perception of you know you being an all-female rock band, did that perception change after a while when they started? Well, people like... who saw us live, yes. If okay. they saw us live, they were changed forever. And I mean, I, right. I mean, in a fundamental way. Mm. So yes, and we understood that the derision factor kept getting less and less, or it took less time for people to change from derision to fandom. Mm-hmm. Literally mm-hmm. within five minutes, five wow. or six minutes, they were convinced. That's awesome. And they just became rabid fans. We would get letters and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. That's but awesome. still, the society at large, yeah. uh, you know, writ large, could not accept an all girl band. We should have had a number of top 30 hits, top mm-hmm. 40 hits, but mm-hmm. we did not. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So you stayed with Fanny until 73, is that correct? October 73. Okay. And was that something you just needed to do for yourself when you left Fanny? Uh, You know, that's a complicated question. uh, And I'll try to give you the pieces that becomes a full answer. Okay. Number one, I knew that I wanted to become an authentic human being. And I knew that I was not in the sense I was still like afraid and hiding. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know enough about the world. And I didn't know enough about myself. You know, the essential question, all the teachers say is ask the question you should ask yourself is, who am I? Mm-hmm. 
And that mm-hmm. sounds really dumb, but it's actually the right question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who am I? Yeah. So I was really frightened. I was reading, uh, you know, B- Buddhist philosophy for sure. I mean, the song Think About the Children, You've mm-hmm. Got a Home, mm-hmm. those kinds of songs came out of my inquiring mind. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know how to step out into the reality of being an adult and authentic human being. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had to leave because I was not going to learn that in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, Hollywood was going to eat me up. Okay. Yeah. So I knew that I was living in a sort of a facade that couldn't hold itself up the way we were because we were just kids. And so we couldn't learn anything. We were in a kind of this box and, you know, uh, just not getting information that we could use. Mm-hmm. A lot of that information was, you know, hurtful when I started to get into Buddhism and who am I? You know, mm-hmm. it was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's one part of the answer. The other part is that I didn't have a life. I didn't have a real life. I mean, I'm a lesbian and I did have a partner for a while and then she left me without really telling me. And all of a sudden here I was mm-hmm. in this big world doing all these big gigs mm-hmm. and asked these big questions. Right. But I felt so small because I didn't have a life that uh, I could count on. Okay. So that's the other side of, of the picture. Okay. And wow. that was absolutely mm. devastating oh my gosh okay um and well i mean when you left fanny you didn't slow down at all i mean you produced other artists music you released two albums with your sister I, was it two or three with your sister Jean? oh I, I lose track i mean so <laughs> we did an album called ladies on the stage uh-huh. uh, okay. about let's see a year and a half after i left fanny and okay. uh Right. You know, that was a great album. I had some disco stuff on it. Oh, and cool. Everyone was trying to figure out what was what was the new music, you know, because it was stepping right. into disco yeah. and stepping into the era of wearing masks and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, you know, Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, that- you know, I, I, I and we have done an awful lot. I've I recorded and written more songs than people can really imagine. I yeah. just kept putting out albums throughout the years. That's amazing. Uh, but, but without having the money to really um, promote them. So mm-hmm. people for the first, in the, in the first instance, they don't know about it. And in the second instance, I moved into women's music mm-hmm. in 75 with Chris Williamson mm-hmm. and literally moved into women's music. And, and that was my new learning experience between feminism and playing with Chris mm-hmm. in women's music, and she is the women, women's music superstar. Mm-hmm. And Buddhism, that's when I really started, when the ball of wax started to really, wow. you know, come together. And I began to see what was going on. But it was not easy. It was mm-hmm. not easy at all. Because, you know, I didn't have very much money, but I was so intent on learning. So mm-hmm. I learned as fast as I could different mm-hmm. music styles. Uh, made new friends, you mm-hmm. know, and so on. There's just a lot yeah. <laughs> happening. In fact, I'm writing book two right now, which starts in 75. Oh, my gosh. And, and I'm already on chapter 13, and I'm just entering into 77. Wow. You know, that's um, amazing. What I learned in 76, 75, 76 was incredible. Mm. That's amazing. Yes, you wrote your memoir, Land of a Thousand Bridges. And I mean, I'm like, I saw how how big it was, and I'm like, okay, that's gonna take me a while to read. <laughs> I was like, but it's so fascinating. Your life has been so fascinating. I mean, when you you know you were like you've been so busy, and you had a reunion with with other members of Fanny, right, back in 2016 or 2018, uh, where you did well, um, Fanny Walk um, the Earth. You did an album. Well, I did an album with Gene and with Bree. So oh, okay. Ellen- Fanny and we did it at um at IMA at our right. recording studio. Yeah. Right. It was recorded in twenty seventeen, released in twenty eighteen. And okay. just as it was being released, Jean had her stroke. So oh. that changed everything. Mm. Oh my gosh. Okay. How is she feeling? How is she? Um, you know, she's holding steady. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that she's gotten a control of the right side of her body enough to play bass. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's, of course, the goal. Yeah. And if anybody wants to support her healing work, uh, you can go to www.gofundme.com slash gene-millington-go. Okay. And believe me, that helps. Okay. Wow. And then on top of that, I mean, I... I the, Part of how I heard about you is I saw this trailer. They did a documentary on Fanny called Fanny the Right to Rock. 
Um, it was a 2021 documentary. And so with all of this going on, do you think you would have done these things had you stayed with Fanny or, or it wouldn't have happened because you weren't ready until you were ready? Well, you know, everything happens in its own time and its own season. So mm -hmm. I can't see how I could have done the same things without having left Fanny, mm -hmm. which is something that I discussed with Jean. I mean, we mm -hmm. were both in tears, you know, our, that's that was our dream to be yeah. in this band. But we we just couldn't get out of the box. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, we played and we played and we learned and we fought and we did all this stuff. And it just it just was not going to happen at that time. You can mm -hmm. tell so. Um, I needed to leave and everything that happened after that, which is so much mm -hmm. and um, so hard, mm -hmm. so hard mm -hmm. um, that had to happen, you know, for me to be talking to you right now and, yeah. and to know what I know. And right. I feel I feel like because of all the circumstances, I mean, let's not forget after I left Fanny was disco feminism mm -hmm. aids mm -hmm. that's before yeah. the 80s right okay yeah and then we start ima oh, and, wow. yeah. uh, and with uh roma baron and angela davis that's the mid 80s mm. and i'm still involved in w women's music somehow but i'm trying to synthesize the rock experience and women's music because I'm the only woman in the world ever in time who was at the beginning beginning of women in rock mm -hmm. and the beginning of women's music. Hmm. That's that's really a lot. Yeah, that's and huge. I don't take it, you know, I don't take that as a, a small thing. It's a big thing and it was meant to be. Right. So everything that's happened, I'm now trying to go over and uh, I mean, I'm still doing music, of course. Mm -hmm. Snapshots, I think, is is yeah. an important album. It's got eyes in the back of our of our yes, heads, and yes. you know that's yeah. I want to talk to you about that actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, so let me just finish my yes, thought here. Please, so, uh, you know, doing the music and doing the uh, you know the act of feminism, let's say, of learning mm -hmm. and molting, you know, mm -hmm. old ideas and all that stuff. Now I'm turning 74 in April wow. and I'm realizing you know I'm I'm going into the wisdom phase the wisdom crone phase mm. and that's another interesting part of life I mean very interesting I'm kind of enjoying it so mm -hmm. now I'm done <laughs> <laughs> no please keep going um yeah well no okay so the next thing is you are the co-founder with your partner Ann Hackler of the IMA Institute for the Musical Arts based in Goshen, Massachusetts. So can you tell me what inspired you to create the IMA? Um, I literally heard voices. I was in a oh. meeting in 1976 mm -hmm. that Chris had asked me to go to at Olivia Records, which was the preeminent women's music company at the time, mm -hmm. record company. And they wanted to get more women of color involved. And, you know, I'm not really into being a proselytizer mm -hmm. as a woman of color, but mm -hmm. Chris asked me to go. And so I went and I heard these ideas that seemed kind of, you know, pie in the sky to me, like uh, uh, everyone who works with Olivia, uh, we're going to be egalitarian and no one's going to be more popular than the other. And I knew that was never going to happen, mm -hmm. never, mm -hmm. because music basically at its core is a popularity contest so you mm -hmm. can't get away from it mm -hmm. so i thought you know and there were other things that were said and i thought hmm, i i'm getting a little bit worried here mm -hmm. and i heard a voice in my head that said who's going to take care of all the women who, who come up in the future because they were starting something that was lighting a fire obviously right. so thousands of people were going to be affected so i heard that voice 10 years later I'm living with Anne at Smith College, uh, excuse me, not Smith College, um, Hampshire. Hampshire College in Amherst. And not only did I hear that voice, I heard more voices and they were coming into my dreams. Hmm. So I was in San Francisco and uh, I had met by that time, maybe a year earlier, Angela Davis. So whenever I would go to San Francisco to do a gig, we'd, she'd come to the gig or we'd mm -hmm. get together or whatever. And I told her about these voices and she said, well, get going. And <laughs> I was awesome. so taken aback. I'm like, get going. I'm not an organizer. I mean, I can't <laughs> do that. You know, I'm like this big idea person who just talks about <laughs> ideas uh -huh. all the time. Uh -huh. And she said, yeah, but they're talking to you. Mm. And so, oh, my God, now I realize she was telling me the truth. They were mm -hmm. talking to me. Mm -hmm. So I talked to Anne about it and we decided to 
get together on this idea of forming an alternate uh, nonprofit. And uh, in fact, Angela was on the founding board, as was mm. um, uh, Roma Barron, who's uh, uh, Laurie Anderson's producer. So we had a pretty, oh, wow. you know, uh, revolutionary mm. board, founding board. Yeah. Know? And so that's how really how it started. I heard voices telling me to do it. Sort of like I didn't actually hear voices, but I had, I you know, my ancestors told me I had to leave Fanny because I needed to learn more because I had more to do. It wasn't just about being right. in the first all-girl band. It was much right. bigger than that. Yeah. And I'm only realizing that now. Wow. So IMA is, like, you have you have um, programs for teens, correct? Pre- is it pre-teens and teens? Pre-teens and teens, yeah, okay. for summer camp. Summer mm-hmm. camp. And how do you go about um, choosing who you're going to accept? Does everybody, do the girls apply? And what are the ages for the Well, pre-teen program? is, is like 12? 12. Okay. Yeah, okay. and then teen is 13 on. But, you know, there's no vetting. There's okay. no vetting. They just have... have to have a desire to come and i'll tell you uh you know we have three main instructors Mm -hmm. that gives a lot of information we have staff but you know if a girl is interested once you start to give information in a safe space and that is the key to the whole thing Mm -hmm. it's a safe space it's theirs and not even their parents are allowed to drop by during camp that's why we call it the magical queendom because ah. it's their magic, it's their interest that all of a sudden they're igniting each other. Right. So even if you've only ever written a poem that you didn't think was very good, uh-huh. all of a sudden you're collaborating, having fun and laughing, and all of a sudden you're creating something like really incredible. That's so that's awesome. how it works, really. Yeah. You know, we give them that safe space. They're they're just about to enter into the dangerous years mm. of being a teen, mm-hmm. very dangerous. Mm-hmm. So we give, we arm them yeah. with information and music and yeah. a space where they can talk about anything you want to talk about amongst themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's life-changing. And, and, you know, there's only one period of time when the doors open in just that way. It's mm-hmm. just got that little... Mm-hmm. crack or maybe big but it's gonna close soon mm-hmm. so we just jump in there you know that's really and we're wild. the circuit breaker we're the i circuit love breaker. that i love that you really are like you are empowering them to like be themselves you know in, that's right. in music that's right. that is so cool yeah and um, you know to be in a band mm-hmm. is a very very powerful thing it's not just a you know we're playing together i mean it's very <laughs> you could almost say you, it, you become an instant cult but for all the right reasons, you mm-hmm. know, they mm-hmm. have their own language. And it's the same thing that we did when we were 16, 15, 16. So yeah. I'm actually reaching back to the past to myself. That's what I realized the first year. And we didn't start till 2002, by the way. Mm. Wow. Up until 2002, from 86 to 2002, we were basically planting the seed in California. We oh. were in Bodega, California. Mm-hmm. So what, why did you... Why did it go from California to Massachusetts? Because we had to leave the space that we were in, which was called the old creamy creamery oh. in Bodega. A bunch of artists basically jerry-rigged this fantastic space that was divided up, and we had one of the sections. And mm. then we had to leave, and uh, uh, that was a dot-com boom. It was mm. really, really hard. We couldn't find anything that we could remotely afford, and we right. found it, and, and we went back to Massachusetts. Okay. Wow, that's really cool. Okay, um, so so you just released a new album, Snapshots. uh, Snapshots. I just heard all the songs the other night, and it's amazing. Um, So why did you call it Snapshots? Uh, One of the reasons is that the music is from different uh, parts of my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, For example, The Ballad of Fanny, which is the second to the last song, it was actually written when I was Fanny, and that demo was recorded, oh, like in wow. 1970 or early 71. That's not a recreation. That is from the actual tape of oh, the demo. Wow. And that is actually Richard Perry, our producer. You can hear him at the beginning and at the end. Uh-huh. And, you know, at the end, he goes, cute. You know, he presses the talk button. Oh, that's talk so cool. Talk back button. He says, cute. <laughs> that's so cool. Okay, so that's what he thought. And no one was really interested in the song, but at least I said it that <laughs> But now when you listen to it, you mm-hmm. know, it's really, like Alice said, it's a hoot. 
but it's also the truth. You know, I say, uh, Al, uh, Jean and I were, let's say, Alice was eating, let's say, Jean and I were eating rice and Alice was eating corn, something like that, you know, like that gives the idea of where we came from in yes, the world. She's from yes. Iowa. We're from Manila. Right. That was amazing. You know, so I'm dropping all these hints as right. to what the components of the band were. Right. And yeah. how we put it together that Alice, excuse me, that Nikki came in, then she left, then she came back. Mm-hmm. Well, that she left for the Joe Cocker tour. You know? Oh, wow. Yeah, so our, our, you know, our early history is definitely uh, in, in in that song. It's mm-hmm. all the truth. Mm-hmm. So that's so all right. So that's 1970 or early 71. And then right. we have a song from around 78, which is the song that starts the album that I played all the instruments and I'm on piano. Mm-hmm. And it's in Woodstock at my house in Woodstock. Mm-hmm. And the cover photo is from that exact period. Oh. I must have gotten up. It was probably in the winter. You can say, see, I have snow boots on. I barely have any clothes on. <laughs> and I must have just drummed on a set of drums and had a you know, was having a good time, and uh-huh. somebody took that shot. I don't even know who. <laughs> That's wild. That's <laughs> and awesome. And then we have songs that are written during camp, and then we have yeah. songs from last year. So yeah. it's really, um, and I have a lot of photos. Fanny just happens to be, and I happen to be one of the people who, whose life is is really uh, caught mm-hmm. on camera mm-hmm. and video. So. Yeah. That's I was awesome. able to take snapshots from mm-hmm. different times of my life, and that's the back cover. Okay. Okay, so I love Girls Don't Dream, which was about yeah. the big lie about how women, yeah. for me, that's how I interpret it. It's like how women have been living yeah. and still live with stereotypes. And, I mean, these lyrics stood out for me. Um, quote, I remember when we couldn't dream of a future of a burning stream, yeah. expected to wait our turn, but then what was that? When was that? When was when that? Was when that? was that? Yeah. Yeah. Keep yeah. to the kitchen. You mustn't be heard. Don't be funny. Don't fly like a bird. Stay in your lane. Don't question the rules. Don't break the glass. Girls don't dream. That was yeah. the big lie. Really, yeah. really weighty lyrics. I mean, and it made me think, I mean, do you think that stereotypes are too ingrained in us that it's hard to break from it even in this day and age? Yeah, I think mm. I think you're onto something there. Okay. And I think this is a really important song. And I'll tell you what, my egg cracked after the insurrection three oh, songs were written yes. right after the insurrection yes. girls don't dream the big right. lie uh-huh. too close to the bone which is an incredibly intense mm-hmm. song you would take a look at the words but i mean mm-hmm. me and Liam and, and and slick just completely are just skating a, a you know top-notch playing on mm-hmm. that one That's and wild. my vacation song which is eagle to the moon which i just kind of let my mind just go and have fun, just fly, you know, mm-hmm. eagle to the moon. What does that mean? It actually means nothing. It's just fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we played our asses off. We That's played our awesome. panties off. We were really having fun. And let's don't forget that both Lee and Slick were sheltering in place with us at IMA for like a year. Oh. And they were playing on my podcast, uh, excuse me, not podcast, my live cast a lot. Huh. So we were in the music thing, you know, yeah. we were doing music right. uh, and not going on the road, not leaving, not really, you know. Yeah. So the the uh, the uh, essence of everything we've learned mm-hmm. uh, playing music and doing gigs and being in the biz just came out effortlessly for those three songs that's that wild. we played together. That's you wild. Know? Okay, so okay, so Fire in the Street, which was inspired by the protests in the wake of George Floyd's death, yeah. that yeah. was powerful. So why was it important for you to write that song? See, I I didn't think of that I was going to write a song. Mm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just fooling around on this <laughs> guitar, getting ready for one of my live streams, and uh-huh. all of a sudden, this guitar rhythm it wasn't even a lick for for for, um uh too close to the bone it it was that you know i had Mm -hmm. a lick that i'm like oh something's happening here that was my clue Mm -hmm. for fire in the street it was on acoustic towers just flew on all of a sudden this rhythm came in Mm -hmm. and i knew it was a herald to something happening so i just went with it you know and the song wrote itself it was mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. in real time we're watching uh you know all those protests every night and, yeah uh, yeah the things that people were screaming at each other and mm-hmm. what trump was saying which mm-hmm. was of course lies and mm-hmm. all that um mm-hmm. that really galvanized me so i ended up writing this song in two stages and i originally i wanted 
I mean, it is two sets of guitars that are kind of vying with each other is how I see it mm. uh, in the track. Mm-hmm. And I wanted me and Slick to be the two guitars, but he actually had to go to a gig in New York, a recording oh. session. Like, oh, he wasn't available, so I did all the parts. Oh, myself. did you? Wow! I had, cool. I, yeah, I had to take positions, you know. <laughs> but I played like five different electric guitars with different tones, and wow. uh, you know, so they're different. They represent different people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another song that stuck with me was "Eyes in the Back of Our Heads," about you know during the COVID and about hate crimes yeah. against Asian Af- Asian Americans and API. Yeah. So, but what struck me was you performed it by speaking the words with music in the background instead of singing it. I thought that was really powerful. I mean, why did you choose that? um, Well, to tell you the truth, I was in chemo at that point, and I couldn't move. Oh, my gosh. So I wrote that on my back, on the couch, all Uh, in my head. Wow. Yeah, so all I could do was speak it, and actually, I think it's much stronger. Yes, just most spoken definitely. Like a, yeah, it's kind of a stealth rap, you know? Huh. I, I was, like, blown away when I heard that. I'm like, wait, hold on. <laughs> this, is, this, this is, like, this is not, like, the usual. And yeah. I it really, like, I went back to it a second time. I'm like, this is really amazing. It's powerful. It really well, was powerful. Hey, look at look at the words and try to say them out loud from beginning to end, and you'll get mm. what I was feeling. You know, why are we here? Yeah. Same as you. You mm-hmm. know. Yep. Um, yeah. It, it's it's really speaking to the truth at as they were hitting me from a, a really essential place when I couldn't move. Mm. Literally, I was on chemo. Wow. And so for for that week, I just couldn't move. Oh my gosh, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great now. Okay. Okay. Oh, I feel great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's okay. a lot of stuff coming up. I mean, the film has not been released uh, theatrically, so it's still coming out. And there are film festivals that you know we're all trying to go to, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be part of Zoom question and answers, or possibly to play at. So there's a lot right. going on. That's awesome. Okay, so yeah. in this album, you had your nephew. Lee Madaloni on bass and drums and on some songs, and then your ex-brother-in-law, Earl Slick, who was the guitarist for David Bowie, John Lennon, Yoko Ono, just to name a few, played on, yeah. on a lot of your songs. How yeah. was it having your family be on this album with you? Well, it only happened because of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, there we were, uh, not really moving a whole lot for two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so a sort of a hive mentality came in, you know, where we were busy, but we were busy within the hive. Right, right. You know, and it's very powerful. And Naya Kete, who is actually Lee's now fiance, she played she played bass on uh, oh. Girls Don't Dream, for example. And she went to our very first Rock and Roll Girls Camp in 2002. Oh, my gosh. So she's wild. in the fabric of, yeah. of IMA, and she's one of the next generation who's going to mm-hmm. be running it when Ann and I are gone, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and girls from camps. Uh, are singing on it some of our instructors mm-hmm. uh, uh, Evelyn Harris sings Unknowable and Janelle Burdell plays drums and percussion on that she's uh-huh. an amazing uh, player and instructor um, uh, Marcia Gomes and Jen um, not Thompson Jen's what's Jen's last name man drummer Townsend Jen Townsend uh, who were at the particular camp when we wrote Wonder Woman mm. I yeah, love just that one, like, too. That was uh, awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. It's incredible. Yeah. So yeah. these are, like, very powerful songs that were highly influenced by the camp experience mm. together, written mm-hmm. during camp. You yeah. know, Unknowable was written during camp, and but I, I didn't particularly write it with the girls, but only in the sense that, you know, I have a particular relationship with the girls. You know, I don't know if you know, but I don't know if you have teenagers around you mm, i have a 23 yeah. i have a 23 year old okay well there you go so uh-huh. you know that there's a period of time when they just try to ignore you <laughs> yes oh yes oh yeah so For that's sure. why it's called unknowable yeah. those lyrics <laughs> all came to me out of a dream mm. i woke up and i just had to grab something and, and write the lyrics down and that's it's them speaking yeah. through me all yeah. you see a flash of light but i'm the goddamn rainbow you know that's a snarl from the girls. That's wild. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. really cool. 
Okay, so so women have come a long way since the 60s in terms, 60s, 70s, in terms of becoming artists. But do you think that we have a long way to go before women artists are taken seriously with regards to making it in music business without being stereotyped or labeled as she's just okay or not bad for a chick? Yeah, you know, I used to think that we were going to be able to pass some, some major point, but now mm. I'm a little older, yeah. I'm starting to see that this whole thing of girls being stereotyped has to be has to do with the way men see girls, mm-hmm. and yes. that runs so many industries. It runs the music industry, yeah. clothing, right. perfume, yep. everything. Mm-hmm. Every ad you see is based on the male gaze. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think that we're doing the best we can, and we will go. We have already gone so far mm-hmm. but i don't know if it will ever completely change because i don't know if men will ever really change this is, seems to be the way of the world so yeah. we have to always keep pushing the tide bucking the tide and doing mm-hmm. the best we can making our statements and i think we're doing a great job to tell mm-hmm. you the truth. yeah we're, we're getting there <laughs> for sure <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah. so i read this quote that you said music has informed everything i've done that i've that have ever felt meaningful because it connected me to myself first. It's brought me confidence and joy and has allowed me to communicate with people in a nonlinear way. There's nothing better in the world. Do you still feel the same way years later? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Where did, when did I say that? I love it. <laughs> um, in one of the research, um, one, one of the um, publications that I did research on. Awesome. Well, no, I love that, and and I stand behind that. It's mm. really a hundred percent. It's a thousand percent yeah. true. Because it, you know, at some point you got to stop running from the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and the truth is whatever connects you to everything. Right. That is the truth. That's your truth. Okay. With me, it's music, all the way, all yeah. the way. With somebody else, it can be art or you know, riding a bike, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um. But whatever connects you is the true thing, and that liberates you, that frees you. However, there is nowhere in the world that does not have music at its core. There yeah. is no culture that doesn't have music and dance. Right, right. So it's 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 really, it's a commonality for all of us, yeah. which is really incredible. Yes. Yeah, music and, you know, really music walks through walls. You. Music yes. walks through hearts and keeps right. going, you know. Yes. It keeps infecting yeah. and con- everyone. Yeah, and it connects you in a deeper level, always. Yeah, that's right. know, that's so. Right. so, okay, so what would you say to young people who want to get into the music industry now? Well, number one, it's really hard. The music industry is uh, almost unrecognizable from where it was even just, say, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. However, if this is something you have to do, mm-hmm. you have to figure out a way to do it, you yeah. know. It has to be done full bore and you cannot stop. That's mm-hmm. the main thing. You got to keep going. You know, if you stumble and fall, pick yourself up. Yeah. Get the courage to keep going. I mean, that to me is the essential truth. Mm-hmm. Find a way to keep going. If you need to get, you know, another job or uh, another way to support yourself while doing music, mm-hmm. that's what you got to do. But um, I think the idea that you're going to make it big is, is is really a tough one because there are so few who make it. And besides that, even if you make it, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy to stay on top. Right. People. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got to do it for your joy level, that it feeds you, mm. that it is your truth and you have to have it. Right. If you have to have it and that is what feeds you, then you got to do it and you just got to find ways to do it and uh, you know, even if you have dreams that uh, are not fulfilled in the way that you thought originally, mm-hmm. that will change, you know, yeah. because your life changes. So right. oh. uh, you never stay in one place, really. I mean, if you do, I, I, I don't know who you are. Yeah. I haven't seen anybody <laughs> right. who doesn't change. Yeah. No, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so is there something you haven't yet done that you would like to do? I mean, you've done so much, but you're still doing things. I love that. So is there something you haven't tried yet that you would like to do? Well, I, I do an awful lot of video. I'm, I'm actually pretty in, in, in my inner life. Mm-hmm. I love the idea. And I, I, you know, I do stuff on YouTube that, that I put out, mm-hmm. not exactly acting, but I put together pieces so I, what I would like to do, to tell you the truth, is do the final video on my life. Uh. You know, because, you know, there are a lot of people who are doing, and there's some stuff in production right now, mm-hmm. uh, stuff that is based 
fanny based. But you know, I had a life before and after fanny. Right. And yeah. it's pretty incredible. So yeah. you know, beginning of Manila, it's a pretty big story. And if you read the book, you'll mm-hmm. you'll know exactly mm-hmm. what I'm talking about. You know, Land of a Thousand Bridges and yes. then I'm, I'm working on part two right now. That's why there's a lot to this story. That's there's wild. a lot. Well I'm yeah. definitely getting the book. So okay, so Two more questions. If you had one thing to change that you wish you had done years ago, what would that be? Be kinder. Be, mm. be understand more and have the capacity to be kind all the time rather to, than to uh, have knee-jerk reactions and, you know, get upset. Okay. And if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Would I give my younger self? Mm-hmm. Ah. <sighs> I would say be in two parts. One is it does get better, mm-hmm. but you will always be struggling. So accept that, and yet it will get better. Oh, I love that. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hear that Anne is next to you. Is that correct? That is exactly right. Oh, that's awesome. Hi, Anne. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I wasn't aware that she was with you. Otherwise, I would have asked her some questions as well. But that's, you know, it's totally your call. Um, but... You know, it's really been amazing speaking with you. I'm so honored that you said yes, first of all. And okay. I am so, I, I loved researching you, first of all, like doing all of these things, because it really, it didn't occur to me, like, what you had to do just to be able to survive in the music world, you know, um, yeah. and that young, you know, I, I mean, to have that love for music at a young age and be able to actually do it whether people responded or not, you know, and that's incredible. Um, so I, and I love that you are still doing music. You are still, and you're inspiring so many young people. I love that. And Inspire, I'm so glad. Yeah. 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 That's incredible. I mean, what you've created, you know, will that is your legacy. I think that's going to be part of your legacy is just inspiring more women to be badasses yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, thank you. No, no, I, I really, I, I admire, and I think that you're such an incredible um, person d- doing all of these things, you know, regardless of how, of how, you know, what you went through, you know, all all of the strife that you went through, um, and, and be able to, like, move forward and do yeah. more things to inspire others. So. Yeah. But thanks so much for for allowing me to speak with you and for being so generous with your time. I, I definitely <laughs> went over, but mm-hmm. um, but I appreciate it and and thank you again for saying that you know that you're able yeah. to do this. So I will let you go with that, and um, you know ha- I will keep you posted, and uh, you know I look forward to your next book. And thank you, you know, and and. I love snapshot, uh, snapshots and, and really, really powerful songs. Thank you so much yeah, for putting it out. Yeah, if people want to get it, just go to the IMA website, IMA.org. Yep, that's Both for sure. Both Land of a Thousand Bridges and Snapshots have their own pull-down tabs. So. I saw, I saw. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Okay, thank you so much, and thank I you. will speak with you soon. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about June Millington on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note, I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman.